ahead and pull out your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can reach down there and pull out that blue Bible. John chapter 8 in the blue Bible is on page 991. 991 in the blue Bible. John chapter 8. So uh, we are in this new uh, initiative here at Flourishing Grace called the Path of Flourishing. For those of you who have not been around, a real quick, really brief uh, summary of this. Uh, we are passionate about leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. And, and the question that we get again and again and again is, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? So we, we wanted to kind of spend a, a, a long season of time really wrestling through, okay, how do we do that? What does it look like to, to walk in a manner that produces flourishing in our life, to walk with Jesus in such a way that we have a flourishing relationship with him? And so the first thing we said is we flourish by, a, by beholding Jesus. And so the first three weeks that we were in this, uh, we talked about beholding Jesus. We flourish by beholding Jesus. We fix our gaze on the source of all human flourishing. And we, we look at him and we, we treasure him and we love him and we adore him. And, and we are just in awe of him. We're captured by his beauty and his glory. We just long to be near to him. And so we, we, we seek a relationship with him, right? We, we behold him. We're stirred to to, to towards him, where our affections are stored towards him. We love, we fall more in love with him than anything else in this world. We behold Jesus, we, so we flourish by beholding Jesus. We talked about in John 15, right, we, this idea of Jesus, man, I am the true vine, I'm the source of all human flourishing, right? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear fruit. So we abide in him, the source of all human flourishing. We behold Jesus. And then a couple weeks ago, we moved in this idea, or actually last week, we moved in this idea of by following Jesus. So the second kind of pathway, the first pathway is by beholding Jesus. The second pathway is by following Jesus. So we flourish by following Jesus. Now, last week, we opened up the conversation by going really broad, and we just really answered the question, what did Jesus mean when he said follow? Okay, and, and, and really, it's not what we mean when we say follow. Like so often, right now, kind of in our American Christian culture, in Christendom, we say, everybody's like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. But we've created our own definition of what a follower is. And it's not Jesus' definition, right? And last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi. And what he meant when he said, follow me, was, hey, when a rabbi would look at their disciple, it doesn't matter if it's Jesus or a different rabbi. Any rabbi looks at a man, he says, come follow me. What that rabbi meant was, come give the next five-ish years of your life to doing nothing except for what I do. Like emulating me in every single way. Right? What, what, a, what a disciple would do with a rabbi is, is do everything that that rabbi does exactly the same way that rabbi does it. So if the rabbi goes to sleep, the disciple goes to sleep in the exact same way, which is creepy, I know, but that's what they do. When the rabbi wakes up, they would wake up in the exact same way. Whatever the disciple or whatever the rabbi eats, they would eat in the exact same way. The same thing they would do, they would, they would emulate this rabbi in every way. We said that the, the first century kind of Israelite blessing for a disciple was may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So to follow Jesus in Jesus' mind, he says, follow me. He's saying, come, come, come wrap your life in my life. Emulate me in every way. Order your life around my 
way. Come follow me. It's so different than what we mean when we say I'm a follower of Jesus. Is it not? A little bit. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going we're to take this even a step further. And we're, we're going to wade into this text this morning. And we're going to answer two questions. Okay, how do, the first question is, how do, how do we begin to follow? Like, how, how do we kind of dip our toes into following Jesus? How do we begin to follow? And the second question is, how does following lead to flourishing? Okay, so if this is a pathway, we, we flourish by following Jesus. Well, how does following lead to flourishing? So how do we begin to follow, and how does following lead to flourishing? Those are the two questions that I want to wrestle with this morning. And then next Sunday, we're going to get super practical again, just really practical, and say, okay, let's bring all of this information into 2019, South Davis County, Utah. How do we actually do this? And I think that the answer to that question is going to really surprise you in some big ways. But this morning, we're just going to wade into those two questions. How do we begin to follow, and how does following lead to flourishing? So if you've got your Bibles open, John 8. John 8. We're going to pick this up in verse 31. John 8, 31. Uh, a little bit of a backstory on John 8, what's happening here. Um, before we read it together, uh, Jesus is teaching, right? Kind of a famous line. So he begins this, this idea, I mean, I am the light of the world, okay? And the, the crowd that he's teaching, the, the Pharisees are there, there's a crowd of Jews there, and they're like, what does that mean? Uh, they don't understand. So he like begins to explain a little bit more, and they're like, huh? And the more he talks, the more confused they become. At one point in, in, the, in this sermon that he's giving, this, this teaching that he's giving, he's like, no, 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 I'm not like you. Like, you're, I'm not from this world. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. And they're like, I'm so confused. He's like, so am I. Like, you guys are confusing me. Right, they just keep getting more and more confused. And you're going to see that here in a second. So John, we're going to pick it up in verse 31. Confused people. Jesus says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So the first thing we see right out of the gate, this, this audience, these Jews in this room, okay? These are Jews who, who the, the text tells us, had believed in him had believed in Jesus, okay? So these are, these are Jews who are kind of, they're, they're confused, but they are, they're, they're tracking, they're on the same page, they're, they're nodding, they're saying, okay, I believe, I'm, 
I'm with you on this. These are Jews who had believed in Jesus. But then Jesus draws this distinction between being one who had believed in him and one who's actually following him, or the language that he uses here is disciple, right? We talked about this last week. This is disciple and follower, interchangeable. They're the same thing, right? A, 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 a Talmudim, a, a disciple, those who are actually my followers, those who are actually my disciples, he says, man, there's a, there's a difference between the two. Like you can, you can kind of nod your head in agreement but not actually be following. And we talked about this last week a bit, right? We talked about this uh, last week saying, man, there's so, so, so many, many people, so many people, at some point in time in their life, they would say, I had believed in Jesus. And maybe, maybe it's true of you this morning. There's a time in your life that you say, man, I can think back to a time when, man, I, had, I believed in Jesus. I had believed in him. Like you crossed the line of faith. Jesus came into your life and pursued you, called you out of spiritual darkness and brought you into spiritual light. And you, you crossed that line of faith. And you say, because I, I had believed in Jesus, but for so many of us, there's never been a moment, there's never been a time when we've actually said, I follow Jesus. My life exists to emulate his life in, in every single way. I, I follow Jesus. So, so many of us in this, in this room this morning, so many people on this planet would say, man, I, I had believed in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. There's, there's, there's an intellectual understanding. I shake my head. I agree. I have believed in Jesus. But... When it comes to Jesus' definition of following, I've never actually done that. Like, I've never actually fully given over to him. Right? We use this language. We use this thing, I'm a follower of Jesus. Or, or I, I gave my life to Jesus. Right? Have you guys heard that before? I gave my life to Christ. Like, that's, that's language we use, right? Come on. I gave my life. Have you really, like your entire life, you, you've, you've sacrificed all at the call to Christ to come and follow? Like we just kind of throw that language around with ever actually really thinking about what we're actually saying. And so here Jesus is drawing this distinction. He's saying, man, there is a difference between those who just simply believe and those who actually come after me. And what is that distinction? What is that difference? He gives it to us right there at the very beginning of verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So if you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so, so the mark of a true disciple, the mark of a true follower of Jesus is one who abides in his word. So what this means, okay, is that it's simply, it's, it is not enough to just come to Jesus. It's not enough to just intellectually believe in Jesus. It's not enough to uh, just, just kind of say that I I follow Jesus. I mean, there's, we must be ones who abide in his word. Augustine said it this way, and I love this quote. He says this, To be a disciple, it is not enough to come, but to continue. He gets that continue from the word abide, right? 
Abide comes from the Greek word minnow, which just means to remain or to stay. If you have an older translation, it probably says to continue in, to remain, to stay, to be rooted in his word, to continue in. It's not, an, it's not enough to come, but to continue, to stay, to abide. He does not therefore say, if you shall hear my word, no. Or if you shall come to my word, no. If you shall praise my word, no. But observe what he said. If you shall continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What shall we say, brethren, to continue in the word of God? Is it toilsome or is it not? If it be toilsome, look at the great reward. If it be not toilsome, thou receivest the reward for not, for nothing. And then I love the last line. Listen to this. Continue we then in him who continues in us. It's so so Augustine, right? Continue we then in him who continues in us. I'm going to get that like tattooed on me. Don't tell my wife, okay? Um, continue we then in him who continues in us. Here's what Augustine is saying. He's saying there is a clear distinction between those who have believed and those who actually follow. It's not enough to come to Jesus and say, man, I came to your word. I, I, I believe in your word. I even praise your word. So many of us would say, man, I praise his word. Augustine says, that's not what he's, what Jesus is saying is that's not enough. That is not what a follower of Jesus is. A follower is one who remains, who stays, who abides, who roots their life in his word. And so Friends, you, you must feel the, the gravity of this line, this sentence. Who abide in my word. If you want to be an actual, real, genuine follower of Jesus, the key, the, the, the sauce, the, the real stuff, it's right there. Those who actually follow Jesus are those who actually abide in his word. And so to abide, right, these two words, abide and word, abide and word. Abide, we, we already said, it's to be rooted in, to be, to stay in, to be uh, remaining, to continue in his word. But what does Jesus mean when he says, my word? What does Jesus mean when he says, my word? Right, those who actually follow me, my real, genuine, true disciples, are those who abide, who are rooted in my Word. What does my word mean? And I'm going to make the case this morning that um, when Jesus says my word, he's not talking about kind of the totality of the Bible. Okay, that's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. First of all, he didn't, he didn't have a Bible. Okay, he's, he's Jewish. Um, so he didn't, he didn't have a Bible. That's for, for starters. But I, I think it's actually more than that. And now don't, mis, don't mishear me. Yes, the, the totality of the Bible is the word of God, and you should abide in it. You should root your life in it. You should read it. Don't, don't mishear me. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here in this text. I don't think he's diminishing the word of God. I think what he says by my word is he's talking about his teaching. Remember, this is first century Jewish rabbi. My 
teaching, the sum of all that I have taught you, all of my words, everything that I have said to you about life, everything that I've said to you about me, the sum total of my teaching, my word, right? Um, in Matthew 28, when Jesus sends out his disciples, right? He says, go therefore into all nations uh, and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. The sum total of my word, abide, be rooted in, observe the sum total of my word. My word, all, all that I've said, all that I've done, all that I've taught you. And so those who actually follow me, my real genuine disciples, those who, who model their life around my life are those who are rooted in my word, the sum total of my teaching, who are actually doing what I'm saying to do, right? And so we, we know, we're familiar with this language abide, right? From John 15, a few weeks ago, when he talked about man, abide in him. Abide in me, Jesus says in John 15. We said, man, we, we fix our gaze on him, we behold him, we abide in him, kind of in this relational way. So if abiding in him is relational, abiding in his word is obedience. To actually follow, to actually become like, to do what our rabbi did, to root our life, to root our existence in his Word, the sum total of his teaching. This is why here at Flourishing Grace, kind of in this semester of small groups, uh, we've challenged all of our small group leaders to challenge their small groups to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, the entire thing. There's kind of two verses a week for this kind of, I hope that your small group's doing this. This is something uh, our, our small group's doing it. Last week, uh, Lindsay was the only one that like actually crushed it, just like had it all. Um, and so just a little bit, every single week, just a little bit more, a little bit more. Why? Why would we do that? Just for fun? Just because, hey, why not? No. Because if we're actually going to follow Jesus, we must root our lives in his word. The Sermon on the Mount, kind of this This kind of magnum opus, his, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, where Jesus kind of puts all of life into one sermon. says, this is it. Root your life in my word. We must become creatures of the word. Now, I've said this again and again and again, that, that reading the Bible, reading his word, does not equal flourishing. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you can't have flourishing without reading his word. We must be people who are in his word every single day, every single day, again and again and again and again, every day, rooting our life in his word. And when we read for intimacy and we read for obedience, all of a sudden we become true followers of Jesus and we begin to root our life in his word. What does that mean? What does that actually look like, okay? And we're gonna get far deeper into this next week, but here's, here's what it means, right? We begin to order all of our life around his word, around his teaching, around the way of Jesus. And so that means, so like my, my marriage, okay, and the way that I view marriage must be rooted in his word. It cannot be, when it comes to my wife, Desiree, it can't be like, here's how I think um, I should engage with my wife. And here's how I think my wife should engage with me. And here's how I think that we should um, have these conversations and these disagreements. And here's how I think we should argue. And here's how I think we should resolve conflict. And here's how I think that we should go about life. And here's how I think we should do whatever we do as a married couple. It cannot be that way. 
And so for those who abide in his word, who are rooted in his word, we must uproot these all of the areas of our lives and replant them in his word. So I must uproot all that I believe about marriage and plant it back into his word, into his teaching, into the sum total of his teachings. What does Jesus say about me as a husband? What does Jesus say about Desiree as a wife? What does Jesus say about the sum total of our marriage? What does Jesus say about how we should engage with each other? What does Jesus say about how we should argue and, and, and reach, reach an agreement on things that we disagree on? What does Jesus say? But it must be rooted must abide in his word. Not just marriage. Every area of my life must be uprooted and replanted into his word. It must abide there. It cannot abide here. It must abide there. To actually follow Jesus means that all areas of my life abide in his word. And so I must become one who uproots all of the things in my life. I begin to uproot um, my, my view on politics. Don't go there, Josh. Um, and re-root re- it in his word. I must uproot my, my view on creation and root it in his word. I must uproot my, my view on, on the food that I eat and root it in his word. I must re- uproot my view on the environment and root it in, 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 into his word. I must uproot my view on violence and re-root it into his word. All of these areas of my life, there's thousands of them. Thousands of them. Now, this can't happen in a day. Please don't leave here. We've said this again and again and again on kind of all these things. You can't run a marathon in a day. You can't climb a mountain in tennis shoes. Like, you just can't do it, okay? You can't, you can't eat an elephant in one sitting, in one, in one swallow, man. It's just one bite at a time. And so the question then becomes, okay, what, what is the area of your life right now that is, that is holding you back from a flourishing relationship with Jesus? Like, what's the area that you're like, yeah, I'm going to root it all in his word, except for these over here. Like, what are those? You see, to, to actually come after Jesus, we must be people who actually examine our lives and look at our lives and say, okay, what, where are these things and what are these things that I'm clinging to? I'm saying, no, this has to be my way. This has to be my way. It can't be his way. And I don't know what that thing is for you. The reality is maybe you need to kind of spend some time with some friends and, and ask them, hey, can you examine my life? Can you help me see? Maybe you need to have a conversation with your spouse and say, listen, when it comes to our finances, like it's not, it's not rooted here. It's, it's, it's for sure here. Like we are clinging to this. We are creating this. We are cultivating this. And we need him to be doing that. Like, what are the areas in your life that, you, that you're just not allowing? I said last week, Brandon, that like, the reason we don't follow Jesus is because either we're clinging to something or something is clinging to us. What are the things that you're clinging to in your life that need to be uprooted? Is this painful, right? Augustine says, is this not toilsome? Yeah, it's toilsome. But think of the reward. You want to know why you are just, you're not satisfied. But why you're weary, why you're sorrowful, why you're tired. Because you're trying to manage it all. You're trying to figure it all out. Man, we must uproot it and reroot it in his word. Who cares what Josh thinks? Who cares what what my opinion is on anything? May the world look at me and see Christ because I've buried my life in his word and it abides there. And so what does it mean? What does it mean to... 
begin to follow Jesus, we begin to examine our lives and uproot areas of our lives where we have been in control, where we have, like our opinion has been king, where we have sat on a throne, we begin to uproot those areas and reroute them in his word. We say, okay, Jesus, what is your word, your teaching, your way of life say about this thing? And we begin to order our life around his word. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Okay. So the next question is then this. How does all of this lead to flourishing? Like, how does following lead to flourishing? Like, how does that work? Well, um, Jesus is going to tell us. Um, look at the very next verse. Verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free. Free to flourish, free to enjoy, free to delight, free to love, free to rest. You see, the reality is, is that, man, you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All of us in this room are slaves to something. And you know this. This is not like shocking to anyone, right? Uh, when you think about it, man, what are the things in your life that have kind of for lack of a better term, maybe kind of enslaved you. Like you're like, I can't get out of this. I can't free myself from this. And maybe we've kind of talked about some of the things we've talked about over the past few weeks. Um, maybe, maybe I'm just a slave to kind of just overall weariness, man. I'm just, I'm not like tired. I'm just worn out and I just can't seem to get past. I'm a slave to weariness. I'm a slave to anxiety. Like I'm just, I just need to, to fix this thing. I just need to control it. I just need to steer it back. And I just, oh, I just can't. I'm just like so anxious all the time. You're a slave to anxiety. Maybe you're a slave to discontent. Like you, you were if I could just get this job, then I would be satisfied. But it didn't satisfy. If I could just kind of get here and, and I could have this thing and, and you arrived, you actually did it, you made that salary, you bought that thing and it didn't satisfy. You're just constantly living in this trap of discontentment. I'm a slave to discontentment. Can you be honest with yourself and admit that? Maybe you're a slave to inadequacy. Like you just live your life believing that, man, I'm, I'm just not good enough to actually follow Jesus. I'm not good enough. Like I'm just, I, I never measure up. I never do anything right. I'm never like, I just, like some, somebody in your life has kind of told you that along the way. I don't know if it's your, your dad or your mom or your spouse or some, somebody in your life has kind of, kind of put that in you and you just can't get free of it because you're a slave to it. Maybe it's just kind of this low-grade depression I don't mean like clinical, I just mean like you just kind of walk around all the time just bummed out by life. I, I don't want to deal with it, I, want to, I can't watch the news, I can't talk about it, I just don't want to deal with life. I don't want to sit on the couch and just lay there and do nothing. Like that's what I want to do because I'm just stuck in this. I'm a slave to it. Can we be honest with ourselves? Like what, what's the area of your life where you are just stuck? Okay, G Jesus has a word for this. Okay, and the word is sin. All of these things, and so often I meet with people and they kind of use this language, man, I'm just weary, I'm just, just 
depressed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just never content, right? And I can just look at it and draw lines, like here's the sin. And usually it's like one, two, three, four. Like here's the sin that's creating that. And Jesus says that right here. He says in verse 33, right, that the Jews answered him. They're like, wait a second, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. I think they forgot about Egypt, but let's bust out this fact. How is it that you say you will become free? How can we be free if we're not slaves? She said, no, 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 you are slaves. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I said to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. She says, no, 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 all of these things that have trapped your life, these things that are robbing you of flourishing, they're all linked to the sin in your life. Hey, he can just draw the line, be like, this is what's causing that. I, I, listen, anxiety is not a sin. Here's the sin that's causing that. Weariness is not a sin. Here's the sin in your life that's causing that. We're trapped, we're sucked into this. And there's no way out, friends. Happy Sunday. There's no way out unless, unless those who abide in my word, those are my true disciples, and they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. There's only one way out because flourish, following leads to flourishing. As we begin to uproot these areas of our life and reroot them that they might abide in his word, those areas begin to flourish. There's two ways. There's two ways the truth sets us free. Okay, two, two big buckets, okay? Uh, the first is, is the bigger one, kind of, kind of the ultimate freedom, okay? And we talked about this earlier when we received communion. We talk about this actually every single Sunday here at Flourishing Grace. So ultimate freedom is found in following Jesus. Uh, when I say ultimate freedom, what I mean is freedom from the curse of sin, Every human being on the planet was born under the curse of sin. In the Garden of Eden, at the, near the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they rebel against God, and God says, man, you can do anything you want. It is one, life is one big party. Just go for it. Do whatever you want. Just don't eat this tree. Like, this one is mine. I'm still God here, people, and here's how you're going to honor me as God. This is mine. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. Don't do anything. And they're like, that's the one I want. Of course they do. And so they rebel against God, and from that moment, man, God says, man, all humanity will be cursed from this moment forward, from this from the second on, no one will live the life that I intended them to live. Everyone will be enslaved to the curse of sin. This is, this is why, I mean, your two-year-old knows how to, like, just destroy your day. Like, nobody taught them that. Like, like, nobody, like one was like, hey, let me teach you how to just, like, drive mom crazy. No, they just do it naturally, Okay? Because there's, they're, they're under the curse of sin from, from birth, under the curse of sin. And we've been separated from our God. And, and the punishment for this curse, the punishment for our rebellion, because we've failed our God again and again and again, we've never measured up to his holiness. We've never measured up to his righteousness. We've, we've never done anything worthy of his love or affection. The punishment for that is an eternal destruction, to be removed from his presence for all time and for all eternity, to, to be separated from him. 
But those who follow Jesus will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. They will know that the God of all things became a man, that Jesus was that God, that he was the one, only, singular God for all time, for all space, for all things. There's never been, there never will be any other God other than him. He steps into time. He says, man, I will pay the penalty for your sin. So the judge racks the gavel. God says, you are guilty. You have sinned. But then he removes the robe and he comes and he sits down beside you and he says, I'll take the punishment though. And so the spotless lamb, or as Brett read earlier in the beginning of our gathering from 1 Colossians, the firstborn of all creation, the one who, who created all things and who sustains all things. All things were created for him. All things were created by him. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, was nailed to the cross for you and for me. The greatest treasure, the greatest delight in all of the world was nailed to the cross for you and for me so that we might be set free from the bondage of sin. So, so, so ultimately, ultimately, for those of us who follow Jesus, who begin to uproot our life and to root it in the word, then we are set free from this bondage of sin that we might be with him for all eternity. But then also temporarily, there's a temporary, there's a temporary freedom that comes with us too. As we begin to uproot these areas of our life and reroot them in Christ, suddenly we experience flourishing in our marriage as as we and our spouse reroute our idea of marriage, our security in marriage, we root it all in his word, in his teaching. We begin to, we begin to model our life and reorder our life in every way around his word. We uproot our finances and we reroute them in his word. They abide there. We experience flourishing there. That doesn't mean we become rich. Okay, don't mishear me. It means we become content, we become satisfied in him and not chasing the pleasures of this world. We uproot our, our, our view of anger and we reroot it in his word. We begin to experience flourishing in all these areas of our life because the truth of his word sets us free. This is the joy, this is the beauty of following Jesus, actually following him. Those who abide, who are obedient to, and reorient their lives around his word and his way of Jesus live free, free from greed, free from lust, free from anger, free from vengeance and violence. All of the sin that wreaks havoc on our flourishing, right? All of these things that are robbing you of flourishing, when they're rerooted in him and in his word, suddenly they're free to flourish. Are you tracking? So, so how, do we, how do we begin to do this? How do we dip our toes in this? Then we begin to uproot our lives and reroot it in his word. For those of you who are brand new to this, like this is like your first time ever here. You, you, you've never been in church before. You're like, wait, what is happening? Like, listen, baby steps, please. Okay, just, just begin to observe, begin to examine, begin to read the teachings of Jesus and to see, see how that might make your life a little better. Like, who's the, who's the only person who's never sinned ever? Jesus, okay, yeah, Sunday school answers. I like to keep them simple for you. Um, not because you, you guys are so sharp, but I just know you don't want to answer. You guys don't want to throw out an answer if you're not sure. Easy, Jesus, right? 
maybe, maybe if we wrapped our lives around his life, we might experience some of that too. He, we might sin less too if we actually modeled our life after his life. Maybe that'd be a good idea. So if you're brand new to this, maybe we just kind of begin to wade into this. Maybe, maybe you've been doing this for a long time and you, there's been things you've uprooted and, and rerooted in, in Christ, but they've like crawled out, like the weeds have like crawled back out and they're like back over here. And we just need to do some re, reordering, some reexamining, some rerooting in him that our life might abide in his word. Now, that, that's, where the, that's where the kind of all of this ends, okay? Uh, so what I mean by that is, um, everything that I wanted to say about following for flourishing, that's that. But Jesus doesn't stop talking. Like, he, he doesn't stop there. And so I just want to read the, the end of this real quick for us um, so that we can be, so that we can honor the word. Here's what he says in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, so those who are actually a slave to the world, okay, and a slave to sin, you don't get to stay forever. Like, so you can, you can kind of put up the facade and say, no, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus, but, you're, but your life is still enslaved to sin. You don't get to hang out here forever. The son stays forever. So if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak what I've seen from my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. Here's what Jesus is saying, which is fascinating. We don't have time to get into this. I'm totally out of time. A few verses earlier, he says, the Jews who had believed. Six verses later, he says, I know you want to kill me. How do those who believe want to kill him? Because his way, his teaching, his word has no place in them. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They're not rooted in it. They have rooted their lives in what they've heard from their father, Abraham. What that means is they've rooted their lives in culture. They're just doing whatever culture tells them to do. And they refuse to uproot it and reroot it in Christ. And so they see this one who's saying, man, you are a slave to sin. There is no freedom in that. And they're like, Dude, I don't want to hear that. I don't want anything to do with that. All right, it just frustrates them. I want to kill that. So for some of us this morning, we, we must come to this place in our life where we say, enough, enough pretending, uh, enough clinging to my way. It must be my thing. I believe this, and so therefore it must be true. No, I'm going to truly follow Jesus. I'm going to seek flourishing in my life by rooting my life, by abiding my life in his word, in his way. May we be a people who begin to do the work, the toilsome work of digging up the areas of our life and rerooting it in his word. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning and uh, I just ask that you would right now, you, by, by your spirit, you would illuminate in our minds areas of our life that we're just clinging to. My view on this issue, my frustration with this person, my lust, my greed, my belief in how things should be, how people should act. 
my need to be seen a certain way, to be accepted. Would you help us? Would you give us the courage that we need in our lives, the strength that we need in our lives? It must come from you, the one that whom we abide in. Would, you, would the one whom we abide in give us the strength to abide in his word, to, to uproot those things, to dig them up, to rip them out of the ground of our lives and place them in your word so that they might abide there. And little by little, moment by moment, might we look back a year from now and say, look at the flourishing that's happening there. Five years from now. Look at all these areas of my life that are now flourishing. A decade from now. Look at how much flourishing in all of these areas that have been uprooted and rerooted in the Word of Christ. It might be a people who truly follow you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.